Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Until 2018, Louisiana was one of only two states that did not require a unanimous jury vote to convict, a practice that began in the Jim Crow era. In 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court found non-unanimous jury verdicts unconstitutional as well. But this week, the Louisiana Supreme Court has refused to apply the jury ban to any cases before 2018. This move will deny new trials to as many as 1,500 inmates who were convicted by divided juries years ago. Five of the seven justices opposed giving inmates their chance at a fresh trial. The only justice to dissent, New Orleans' Piper Griffin, is also the court's only black member. A second justice, James Genovese, offered a partial dissent. The law states that U.S. citizens have a right to a fair trial with an impartial jury of their peers. Genovese argued that the court should grant new trials to black defendants who can prove that a black juror voted against their original conviction. In Friday's ruling, the Louisiana Supreme Court refused to go further than the U.S. Supreme Court required, leaving advocates hoping to appeal to the state's highest court for those convicted by narrow, non-unanimous verdicts. New Orleans-based advocacy group, the Promise of Justice Initiative, is leading the campaign to free those long-serving inmates. They plan to keep fighting, turning next to the legislature and the governor. PGI's executive director explained, Louisiana is the prison capital of the world. We over-incarcerate black and brown people at enormous rates with excessively long sentences. This rule had the impact its creators intended it to, and we are deeply disappointed that the Supreme Court has chosen not to act to fix this racist law. On Thursday, October 6th, the city of Philadelphia issued an official apology for the Holmesburg Prison medical experiments performed on black inmates for more than two decades. The city's apology came after pressure from community activists and inmates' families and follows many other cities' apologies over their racist policies and practices in the wake of the nation's reckoning with systemic racism after the murder of George Floyd. From the 1950s through the 70s, the city of Philadelphia allowed University of Pennsylvania researcher Dr. Albert Kligman to conduct dermatological, biochemical, and pharmaceutical experiments that intentionally exposed about 300 inmates to viruses, fungi, asbestos, and chemical agents, including dioxin, an ingredient in Agent Orange. The vast majority of Kligman's experiments were performed on black men, many of whom were awaiting trial and trying to save money for bail, and many of whom were illiterate. Many of the former inmates have had lifelong scars and health issues from his experiments. In the year 2000, a group of inmates filed a lawsuit against both the university and Kligman, but the suit was ultimately thrown out due to a statute of limitations policy. Kligman, who would go on to pioneer the acne and wrinkle treatment Retin-A, died in 2010. Last year, the University of Pennsylvania issued a formal apology and took Kligman's name off some honorifics like an annual lecture series and professorship. The university also directed research funds to fellows focused on dermatological issues and people of color. Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney stated, Without excuse, we formally and officially extend a sincere apology to those who were subjected to the inhumane and horrific abuse. We are also sorry it took far too long to hear these words. 
He went on to say that the experiments exploited a vulnerable population and the impact of that medical racism has extended for generations. This week, we share part of a conversation between Jacques Huerta and Sincere. Sincere, who spent 13 years in Indiana prisons, now organizes in Indianapolis with other formerly incarcerated people. Sincere speaks to what it was like arriving and getting settled into prison and the frequent abuses she witnessed and experienced. Content warning for sexual abuse and medical neglect. There's a process that you go through at Rockville, the diagnostic process, to decide where you would be sent to. Right. Right. Okay. So how was that? Walk us through that process of going inside Rockville, not having ever been through this type of situation before, you know, just walk us through that experience a little bit, if you could. Well, first of all, uh, it was very, very, uh, how should I say it? Maybe like disrespectful because it feels like you've been captured from society. Um, just basically like put into a community where you are stripped butt naked. You are, um, uh, you have to go to medical to get um, examined by a doctor you don't even know. Out here, you know, you have family doctors that you've known for years. So that was pretty uncomfortable going in talking to a doctor that I've never even heard of. Um, not even knowing their credentials. Um, as a black woman, my hair, uh, if I had braids in it, I was asked to take them out. If you had uh, earrings or labrays or anything, if they weren't able to the, remove them, they would have to cut them out. Um, <clears throat> I've seen a girl actually have a, like a, a ring here and it wouldn't come out, so they had to cut her to get it out. Um, And she cried for like days and weeks. It was horrible. Uh, Lice, they have to put like lice uh, powder in your hair for you to like go in. And it smells in your hair for like days. Um, You get a package like this big with like a toothpaste like this and a a toothbrush just like this. shampoo, conditioner, the travel size things, which you have to have that for at least about a week or more, depending on your financial status. Which I will interject, you know, I think they give us as, you know, uh, men and women, I think they give us basically the same stuff, which is the cheapest, most unaffected stuff (laughs) that you can possibly imagine, you know, because I've brushed my teeth with that stuff and Half hour later, your breath is like something that you can't recognize, (laughs) you know? So I can just imagine from a a female perspective. So you're told to do all these things going by the process. If if there's something that you're uncomfortable with and you don't want that to take place, as they're saying, if you deny it, what what do they do? Well, uh, the rules were enforced early, you know, the fear was enforced early. Like I said, I felt like I had been captured like a slave because I wasn't asked to do anything. I was always told to do something. Um, so early stages, uh, you know, I've seen maybe in the county jail, people get handled by uh, officers, um, maybe hit, 
um, assaulted in some type of way or maybe even food being taken away or some kind of consequences to, you know, not complying to the rules. Have you uh, seen anybody uh, resist the uh, whatever they were trying to like? I know like I know for us, the males, when we get there, you got to remove your clothes as soon as you get off the bus immediately. And, uh, and, and I know that's a part of the, um, the mental process, you know, of stripping you of the person that you know yourself to be, you know. So their first initial contact is get naked, you know, and to the males, you know, open your orifices, you know, if you will, you know. So you're, um, you got to squat, you got to lift your stuff, uh, you got to spread your stuff, you gotta do all this different stuff, you know, and you have men peering at you. Oh, and a lot of times they say, uh, you know, what they consider to be funny stuff, you know, sweet cheeks, there's plenty of that, you know, with the guys, you know. Uh, oh, I don't even think this guy's a man over here, you know, all that different stuff like that. You know, I've heard all that different stuff. So I can't imagine putting a woman in the same type of setting and situation. Is that something? Oh yeah, that's very common. If they resist, what happens? Um, if you resist, you would you could get rolled up on a CAB. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen several times where uh, women come in and you're not knowing if they've been raped, if they've been molested, if they've been, uh, you know, in a relationship where they were being abused. You don't know. So um, I know one particular girl, um, she refused to get naked for the officer because she was on her monthly, her period. And she was just embarrassed. And you could just tell that she was so ashamed and she has never been through anything like this before. Um, and they end up taking her to secure quarters. And, you know, so until... secure quarters would be like the whole? Like yes, it's like, time. it's a little room um, I've been, um, you know, for not complying. Um, and you're handcuffed and you're thrown in there and it's a little bitty window, probably about the size of this water bottle. And you get to look out of it. Um, you get all your meals bring to you. You get out maybe uh, 20, 30 minutes for a uh, wreck, which would be your shower. Maybe make a phone call. Um, so if you don't comply with what is being directed towards you, they have an option of removing you completely and putting you in a room to yourself, by yourself, locked in to where you can't have any movement or any scenery as punishment. Right. Um, Even worse, um, you know, some girls have uh, reported, you know, this hasn't happened to me, Um, you know, even being raped or um, beaten while in a cell um, or even found dead in a cell. Have you seen women beaten by officers? Yes. Yes. I've actually been handled in an inappropriate way by an uh, officer. I've also witnessed... um, several sexual uh, oh, yeah. things. So, you know, in, in, in a male prison, you have females who work there too. Uh, but so mostly with you in a female prison, do is it mostly women? 
who interact with you as far as handling you? Touching absolutely you? not. Absolutely um, not. Absolutely not. Men are allowed to pat search women in the prisons. Um, there was an instance where um, they had a girl. Uh, she was being pat searched by an officer. Officer walking the in the dorm and just like a a pen and pad like this, and you, he would say, "Hey, you." You, 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 and you. All you guys come up here. I'm going to pass search all of you just randomly. Well, the girl was on her way to the bathroom from her room. She was sleeping. And he went to pass search her, and her pants came down, and she didn't have any underwear on. She was, I mean, that's the type of situations that, you know, occur. Um, I've had... In front of everybody in a in a day room, which the day room is probably a little bit bigger than this, and everybody's just sitting around like at tables watching TV or playing cards or um, doing whatever it is, magazines, and that happened. Um, they're allowed to go into bathrooms where uh, women shower and use the bathroom. There's not a stall. Uh, the bathrooms are kind of like. Uh, little half walls in between the bathrooms. So just like we're sitting here, we can be going to the bathroom, I could talk to you or, you know, look over and there. Anyone who comes in can see everybody. On exactly. The and um, there's been several occasions. Um, I'm not sure if you guys heard of Sarah Pender. Anybody? Sarah Pender, she escaped from Rockville Correctional Facility and she was messing with the officer. Um, yeah, I was there, um, when that happened also. Yeah. Um, sexual advances happen all the time, all the time there. Um, and it's just really cheap there too. It's like for makeup or, um, lip gloss, um, drugs, tobacco, stuff like that. So to get that stuff, officers would try to make deals or something? Yeah. Women are... Just like um, anything else, you know, uh, they're manipulative. And, you know, once, you know, they're in there to where an officer is inappropriate with them, then, you know, might as well just go all the way. But not saying that, you know, it's just a woman's fault, but, you know, both inappropriate relationship as him being a correctional officer and her being a offender. Right. Possibility definitely lies on the officer's side to be a professional. Yeah. Um, Okay. What, what about, um, how about the healthcare situation as far as um, women in the facilities receiving proper medical attention? Um, I really don't have anything good to say about the medical provider Horizon. Um, I'm not sure there was talk about um, another medical provider coming in, but Horizon was the number one provider there at Rockville. Um, in 2008, I had um, went in. I tried to stay as far as away from the infirmary as possible because you never know what could happen there. I've seen people go in and never come back out. I've heard horror stories and I've seen horror stories. So um, it was a new doctor in and um, she had prescribed me a blood pressure medication. And um, I took the blood pressure medication for the first time and I ended up not waking up for almost 
30 minutes I was out and I didn't know what happened and come to find out she had overdosed me. Um, so, um, I've had a bunkie and her appendix had erupted and I want to say it was maybe a week and a half, two weeks before she even got attention. And by the time she got attention, um, she was already in bad shape. Like they couldn't save her. There's been, uh, I mean, it's endless stories, endless stories, endless stories where they have actually killed people in Rockville and not took any kind of responsibility for um, maybe lawsuits here and there. But most of the time, these things are just swept under the rug, um, especially dealing with um, mental health Um Girls come in there and they are put on the classic Thorazine, um, at, not Adderall, um, Zoloft and other medications that um, literally have them walking around like zombies and not getting the medical attention that they really need in order to be able to function. And I've seen them actually take, I've seen this one girl, she was fine. Literally fine until she started going to get psych meds from um, the infirmary and she went crazy and they end up taking her to SQ where in SQ she was like using her own feces to like write, write messages to the officers in her own feces. So it's definitely, um, it's definitely a traumatic I know. Uh, I, I remember one time, and this was right before I got out of prison, like three years ago, uh, there was this one guy, he was complaining about chest pains. He went to the infirmary and they told him that uh, he had heartburn and they literally gave him milk of magnesia, which I didn't even know they still made that. And uh, and he, he had a heart attack and he died. He was dead the next day, you know, so and such a grievous miss, um, you know, not, not being able to recognize what was the problem. You know, he had a heart attack and they said he had heartburn, you know, and he died the next day, you know, so I, I do know about that. Anything about the um, pregnancies? Well, uh, at Rockville, we didn't, we didn't have a baby dorm like they have at IWP. Um, Rockville, um, when the women come in is so sad because most of them are, um, like really, really pregnant, like seven, eight, nine, you know, is it eight months, nine months, nine months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they're really pregnant and they have to put on, uh, like a, it's kind of like a nurse's outfit, but it's blue. And, um, sometimes it squeezes their bellies to the point where, you know, they don't have the correct size for them. Um, it's not like maternity clothes. Um, then they have to sleep on a metal bed with like a little mat. And, um, I've never been pregnant, so I don't know what it is to, you know, carry around, you know, that much weight to where, you know, you would lay on something comfortable, I would hope. Um, then they're just given a couple sack lunches and just to feed like two people, 
that's not, you know, sufficient enough to give them uh, nutrients to feed the baby. Um, they don't stay at Rockville long, but the stay that they that they have to endure is very, very um, uncomfortable. Um, you know, throwing up, they have to like maybe go from one room to the next. And sometimes you're not allowed to go to the bathroom at certain times. You're not allowed to do certain things at certain times. The doors are locked. The officers might have to come and open the doors. Um, urinate in the lot. Um, and you know, a lot of girls have lost babies in that intake building. Um, so, uh, that's one of the things that, you know, I was really appalled by, uh, them not taking care of, you know, a pregnant woman who really needs the medical attention. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I seen something, I seen something on, on the news recently. This was in Arizona, I want to say, and a woman had given her, they had given her a C-section. And um, in, in place of giving her the uh, whatever, you know, you would need to clean that infection properly uh, or, or so it won't have an infection, they apply sugar. They told her to use sugar, you know, and it, and it turns out that during uh, World War Two, I think that a lot of the nurse practitioners was applying sugar because they couldn't get the proper uh, cleaning that they supposed to get and uh, hmm. the, the, the the supplies that they needed and they had they told her to use sugar you know right. which perplexed me because I've never even heard of that before but uh, but it was something that was done and the fact that that can actually be an option to use on a human being you know utterly repulsive hmm. you know um, so yeah it, it is common let's talk about the um what happened when you started doing your time, you came out of the diagnostic center and, uh, and you were getting familiar with the officers. So what type of officers were you exposed to while you were doing your time? Well, um, when I went into prison, I was um, really liberal. You know, I enjoyed... Uh, being around a whole lot of different people. But when I got there, it was more of a setting of a, a, a community, a ranking. Like there was, the, of course, the superintendent, and then you have the assistant superintendent, and then you have all the rest of the ranks on down to the street officer. And I started, you know, noticing that, you know, it was all about rank and family. Um, so if the lieutenant worked there his wife worked there and if his wife worked there then their kid live worked there too so it was kind of like all the jacksons or all the you know johnsons all you know worked there and it was more um of a ranking situation so if one officer you could tell if a certain officer was on shift how everybody act um so the officers themselves were directly family and at the very least a close knit. Right. Community. So nobody really went against anybody and their traditions and their values and morals were all stuck in that Rockville and their thinking on how they act. Um, well, when I 
got there, I noticed that um, I would get up and I would go to Chow, and that was that build. This it's this building right here, and uh, no, it's that building right there. That's secure quarters. The little is the little one right there. Um, go there, and the officers would stand in a line, and they would have their hands in their pockets like this all the time. So I finally asked a couple people and there was this one lady there, Cooper. She had been there for like 20 something years. And um, she told me it was the Ku Klux Klan's um, white supremacy type hand symbol. So um, I just looked this up on the internet and it came right up. So these two fingers would stay in their pockets. And they will have these other ones symboling KKK. Well, I was so appalled because I had never really, um, I have like everybody in my family, all kind of race, we're like the reading rainbow. So, you know, I didn't understand what was going on, you know, in this symbol. So they so started. More than one officer, more than one. Yeah, they usually person. hung out in gangs. Mm hmm. If one went somewhere, one a, a, another one came, or three or four or five, um, to do whatever it is they need to do. If it was a shakedown, if it was medical attention, if it was to just, you know, check somebody or whatever it was, you know. Um, so I found out quick that I wasn't wanted there. So I had to do a lot of butt kissing. I had to do a lot of smiling when I didn't want to. I had to do a lot of uh, um, just being quiet because what I could what I could potentially say could probably offend somebody. Um, I was asked to, you know, take my braids out one time because it was a gang related symbol. Um, like with braids, you can just do, you can just go crazy with them with creative, you know, patterns or whatever. So I would keep my hair in braids all the time. And an officer told me, Hey, you need to take that out. That's gang related. Uh, and that was just the smallest of the, um, racism that, you know, occurred while I was there. Um, what type of other things you can say that? you would attribute to racism and your treatment and behavior or anybody there? Well, it was mainly how the, the, the black women would date white women. That went on a lot. And the officers could not stand the fact that, you know, the interracial thing was going on. Mm -hmm. So they would remove... Um, Separate people? Yes. All the time. Um, so like if you were in a relationship for maybe a couple months or, you know, however, they would make sure that they would say stay separate um, or um, CABs would be wrote. And say, for instance, if you were white and you would get a CAB for whatever it was, which is a conduct report, and um, you would probably get a lesser sanctioned than I would. So um, that type of thing was, you know, going on with um, also with like um, going up for parole violations or um, any, um, I think it's community corrections. 
uh, community corrections, they were letting a lot of the the white women out before they were letting out, you know, the black women. It didn't depend on your crime or anything like that. And that would go on. And how I would know is say, like on the dorm, everybody told everybody's business. So if um, me and somebody else went up for um, community corrections or something, everybody on the dorm would know about this. And then they would come back and say, hey, oh, I got it. Well, she didn't. Why didn't she? So um, it just started becoming a a common thing around um, Rockville. This conversation was hosted by IDOC Watch and Focus Initiatives. Thanks to everyone who helped with the show. This has been KiteLine. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.